you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Amen. Welcome to Kaleo. It is good to be here. It's good to see you on Pentecost Sunday. I'm going to explain a little bit more in detail what exactly today and the implications in the church calendar are for this day. But first, I want to do a recap of the entire year. Not like that, but of the church year. As a church here at Kaleo, we engage in the rhythms of the church calendar. Starting with Advent, we go into the Christmas season, followed by the Epiphany, and then we journey through the wilderness and what is called Lent, and then we celebrate the day of Easter, and then we get swept away by its tide called Easter Tide. Pentecost is the culmination, the end point of the seasons of the church before we get into what is called ordinary time. Now that word has been destroyed and dismantled and is gone forever, ordinary time. But for the sake of just basic communication and us having shared language, we'll go into ordinary time, whatever that means as a community. But as a church, we are invited to share in these seasons, these rhythms in a way that is meaningful in the sense that we get swept away in the God narrative from the Old Testament to the, in the prophets, the wisdom to the gospels and the epistles, we get swept away in the story of God. And what we find in the story of God is this, God absolutely unequivocally loves humanity. God loves humanity. That means you and me. He wants humanity to be in God's image. So that's the story. We start the Advent season, and it's this darkness, this anticipation, this waiting for God to come in the flesh. And just like God constantly does, is he comes in a way that supersedes and is different than what everybody else thought. He is in a small town, born in a barn, as a baby to nobody parents, really. They got the, the line right, yeah, but it's like, Removed, 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 and then, okay, it's his stepfather, too, is, that's in the line. So. so Jesus comes in a surprising way, and we don't hear a whole lot from him in his childhood. We get some crazy story about a pilgrimage during the Passover where he gets lost in the church, and then they realize he's been lost for three days. And as I have children, I can't even imagine losing my kid in a populated city and having to run back, rush back. Can you imagine, like, how desperate you are to get back to make sure that child is all right. But then we don't hear from him. Then we have this baptizer, this cousin of Jesus who is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. And Jesus stands in line with everybody else. Nobody knows who he is. And he waits patiently for his turn. He gets in the water and John, the baptizer, looks at him and says, oh no, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. What are you doing? And Jesus says, do it. And he's dunked underwater, baptismo, fully immersed as the Baptists say. And he is down in the water and he comes up and this ray of light shines and it says the affirmation of who Jesus is. This 
is my son. I'm well pleased. And this descending dove-like figure and the light comes forth upon Jesus and this spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness where we meet him as a church every year in the season of Lent. Throughout the story of Jesus, we see misunderstanding and confusion, and we see unmet expectations and things that people want to place on Jesus for what the rabbi Messiah should be. And time and time again, Jesus has a way of subverting those expectations, but showing that his way, the kingdom way, is different than anything that we can conceive. And his disciples are constantly confused as you read the gospels. You actually kind of feel sorry for them, except they're the ones that wrote this about themselves. So it's self-deprecation, if anything. But it's like, yeah, we we were there. We didn't get it. We're arguing about who's going to have power, who's going to be on the right, and who's going to be on the left. And we're grabbing swords and cutting people's ears off. And we're like, no, don't do this. And Jesus is calling us Satan. And then we see him transformed on the top of a mountain. Then we have to go to Jerusalem. And he says he has to die. And we don't get it at all. And the buildup of this divine narrative continues like a roller coaster, click, 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 click. And they get to Jerusalem and everything goes down as Jesus has said. He's betrayed by one of his closest friends who has followed him for three years. And he's betrayed with a kiss on the cheek in front of his friends who have been praying and the, the mob, the, the religious elite and soldiers come to him and they take him away. And we grieve with Jesus in our journey towards Good Friday and on our way to the cross with him as we journey in the wilderness. But we don't get stuck there. We feel the feelings and we embrace the darkness and we know that things still on this side of the cross are not as they should be. And we remember that fact. We feel that fact. We see Jesus and it causes these emotions to bubble up in us and we can't imagine how horrific that condescension and mockery and the humiliation of our Savior was. But the silence of Good Friday falls. And as a community, we met it with silence. Quiet. And we wait. We wait. Waiting is a constant theme. Have you not realized that yet? I know Amazon Prime has really messed us up. (laughs) The microwave did its number in the 60s with the processed food industry and our lack of waiting has caused us to be depressed and obese and diabetic. We don't like to wait. In fact, we'll put our health on the line so that we don't have to wait, but waiting is constantly in this divine narrative. And in this waiting, we feel the pain of uncertainty. Did we believe correctly? When we dropped our nets to follow Jesus, did we make a bad decision? For we were fed. We weren't up there, but we were taken care of. We had ours. We got mine. The fish was there and we could eat it at least. We weren't starving like the other Galileans but we start to question that decision that day on the Sea of Tiberias known as Galilee and we're unsettled by it. 
Then we hear murmurs of these women who've gone to the grave, coming back saying, hey, Jesus is alive. And we say, okay, Mary, I know y'all were close, but let's calm down for a moment. And they said, okay, yeah, all right. But then they had to see for themselves and Jesus meets them in the room and we celebrate this divine interaction known as Easter. Jesus has risen from the grave. He has shown who he is. He is who he said he was and he begins a 40-day journey with his disciples to prepare them for something else. Okay, so he's, it's not done. He, he rose from the grave. That's pretty cool. Get the sword, Jesus. It's time. You're glowing. Where'd you, where did you come from? Are you a ghost? No, we can touch you. Okay. It's done, right? Now what? It's over. The Davidic rule is restored. Zion is elite again. We got our land back. We got our power back. We got our money back. We got our wealth back. We can kick all these invaders out. But Jesus keeps saying, Wait, wait. So here we are in this season of Eastertide and Jesus has ascended into the clouds and everybody, about 120 of his people are looking up. Wow, wow. Uh, now what? Now what? Jesus had commanded them hey, don't leave Jerusalem. See, they were all there on the, time, on the time of Passover when Jesus was crucified, and they actually hadn't left. That is not standard practice. They were staying up in a house, and Jesus had instructed them to stay there and wait. So here they are in a room trying to figure out what to do, and in this room it says that they were together and they were praying. This new festival that follows the Passover, it's not new, it's an old one, called Pentecost or the Festival of Weeks. It is the commemoration of when Yahweh gave the, the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So it's one of three Jewish holidays that pilgrims would come from all over into the city. So these people who are coming from all over most likely were not there during Passover. So they're all coming into the city and there's some buzz rumors going around like, hey, there's this rabbi from Galilee, right? And he was such a threat that he got crucified. A rabbi of all people got crucified. And now his people are saying that he rose from the grave, which is crazy, but you, you didn't hear this? Isn't that nuts? And the fear is still there for the disciples because they're still part of this revolt against Rome and there's a price on their heads. And here they are instructed, about 120 people. I don't know how many are in the actual room, but we're gonna read Acts chapter two, verses one through 21 and take a couple pauses as we do so. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to, the, came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now... There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews 
from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So there's a loud, audible noise going on and people are coming out like, what was that? The other day there were fireworks going off at my house, pop, 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 and I had no idea what was going on. So me and my six-year-old daughter went outside and I said, oh, it's fireworks. But all she heard was me say, oh, it's fire. And she came running after me as I was jogging to the backyard to see the pretty lights because she thought we were in danger of actual fire and there was just panic on her face. And she sat on my shoulder and we watched the fireworks go, but she was still a little shook by what she had heard and wanted to go inside. The people heard this noise And as they heard, they came to this center point where that noise had generated and they're hearing their own languages, which is not common because these are Galileans speaking in foreign tongues. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans, those fishermen, remember? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medeans, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, fear, fear of whatever, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near. All of these parts of the world cast out and visiting from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judeans. Across Arabia, they heard their own language them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What a question. We're still asking it, aren't we? What's the point? What does this mean? What are we hearing? Why are we here? Why are we gathered? Why did this happen? What does this mean? In an experience that we're all familiar with, there's polarization and division going on because some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. They've had too much wine. And the disciple of all the disciples that stands up to address this crowd filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit is Peter. Peter says to them, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That joke's a lot funnier before a pandemic when it's all too real. Let's get earlier, maybe sunrise. I'm joking, kind of. (laughs) But Peter gets up and he stands up and he speaks from the prophet Joel. But Peter, we know what happened to him, right? When we were following Jesus on his way to the cross on Good Friday, Peter three times denied his rabbi, his friend, his authority, the one he saw transfigured on top of a mountain. Peter disowned him and in his shame, humiliated feeling the sting of his own betrayal, he flees and he starts fishing again. It's over for him. He's burnt his bridge. He has no more right 
He's not entitled and he has no more credibility. He has lost it all on a mistake. The Holy Spirit fills this person who had made a mistake and says, where you thought you were done, I have something new for you, something more. And emboldened and impassioned in front of his friends that know about the betrayal, he says this prophecy from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Do you hear that? Men and women. Servants the young and the old. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, may we feel the weight of this day. While at Kaleo, we don't invite the spirit, your spirit in the place because we know you are already here. We pray not only for our acknowledgement, God, because that is on us. That is in our facilities to do. God, remove us of any type of agency to meet you in that, God. And we pray for the inbreaking of your spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come into this place tonight. For your actual divine movement that is seen and tangible and heard in a way that penetrates even the hardest hearts in the room and propels us in a way that is undeniably only of you. Jesus, we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and today, importantly, the Holy Spirit. God, move. Amen. The Holy Spirit, the forgotten God, the neglected God, oftentimes, unfortunately, referred to as an it or a force or as a fuel or as just a thing. The Holy Spirit, which was with God in the beginning, just like the word, which was Jesus in the beginning, hovering over the waters of chaos in perfect unity with God, is God. For me, I, I grew up Baptist in the South, and so we were scared of the Holy Spirit. And the churches, and the first church that I was a part of, which was still the same church, but it changed a lot, but we had pews like this, but they were blue. And it was a little bit wider and a little bit shorter, but they were blue. And if somebody would have done one of these in worship, uh-uh, no. No, you got what those Pentecostals have and they scare us. I don't want none of that. I want to be a normal accountant, okay? But we were scared of the Holy Spirit and we see the neglect of the Holy Spirit happening. And then on the other side, we see the sensationalizing of the Holy Spirit in a way that puts other people off of the Holy Spirit because we don't wanna act like they act with the Holy Spirit. And we're like, there's gotta be something more and different. 
And one of the things that our church that sometimes we come into conflict with is that we exist to practice the ways of Jesus. We have this Christ-centered theological approach to how we do things. We don't apologize for that. We focus on the person of Jesus and the ethics of Jesus, but we have to. We have to not fail to mention and to harp on and to emphasize the fact that the practices of Jesus are only effective and in accordance to God if it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't fake it. Fake it. There is a God known as the Holy Spirit that has to be what centers and restores and rejuvenates and replenishes and propels us in vitality to practice the ways of Jesus, which Jesus embodies this spirit. Jesus is this spirit. Jesus with the flesh of man put on and the spirit of God breathed in fully embodies what it looks like to be a man and to be God. Jesus, the Christ, fully dependent on the Father and the Holy Spirit for his own existence, saying, wait, there is something more. We thought it was the end, but still we wait. Then this thunderous happening goes down, and the people are speaking, surely now this is the end. Yet we wait. We wait. The Holy Spirit, Jesus promises us. In Luke 24, verse 49, I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with the power from off on high. Wait. John 14, 15 through 17, if you love me and keep my commands, and I ask my Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Wait. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Wait. There is another one coming. There is another one coming in my name. Jesus keeps his promises. And he's kept his promises. And we as his sons and daughters are able to experience the fullness of God's love through only God's own Holy Spirit. I want you to pause in that moment. I want you to sit with that reality for a moment with the presence of God in this place and maybe even stirring in your heart right now. As you even take inventory on your own spirituality or spiritual walk or the things you've done wrong or the things you've done right. Now God, we ask you to baptize all of those things in your name and the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that it is done. 
This day represents Jesus keeping his promises. It also represents those who had scattered being unified. It's the opposite of the Tower of Babel where man took upon themselves its own agency to create a thing to get to God by our own works. And God said, no, 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 you're skipping a vital part. And he disperses and they go and they flee. And we see the polarization and the the disunity and the disjointed views and the fact that we can't even see each other as people when we look each other in the eyes. But God's spirit unifies. And without that unity, think of any person or group or individuals where there's disunity, there is not the spirit. God unifies. God unifies. And where the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is serving as a means to an end. And what is this means to an end? It's to establish the church. To reveal God's love, the purpose of creation, the rhythms of the church seasons, all coming together to attest to who God is. God is love. He loves us. We love God. Therefore, we love one another. We are unified and we have this message. We have this message then that spreads like a wildfire that it is. And what we've seen, the reason we're in Phoenix, Arizona right now. And it's the question that Robert Jensen poses is this, can these bones live? Now let's go back to Ezekiel 37 and know exactly what he's talking about when he says, can these bones live? The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel is speaking, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. See, the spirit of the Lord is in the Old Testament too. And he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones, and I will make breath, the very name of God himself, make breath enter you, and I will, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and, to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. You will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophecy, son of man. And say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe for the four winds and the breath into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them. And they came to life and they stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. And our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open the graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. 
when I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. God radically pursuing humanity in a way that reveals who God is so that we may recognize who God is. And so we may answer this question, can these bones live? Is there life when there's so much death? The church seasons in the day of Pentecost completes that the cycle Today is the completion of that cycle. It begins at Ash Wednesday and continues through Lent and Holy Week and Eastertide. It's the capstone of the liturgical journey that moves symbolically from ashes to fire. Pentecost sums up the gospel with simplicity and audacity. Jesus Christ offers salvation to all and the church exists to proclaim it. that's where we are today that's why we're here that's why we keep gathering in a room faithfully showing up because we know where we show up and where we intentionally pray to you you move and while there's times where we're tired of waiting and there's times where we feel like there's no point anymore there's times where our doubts overshadow your light to a point to where we want to give it all up and don't know why we dropped our nets in the first place and have questioned you and are just downright tired we confess and we repent and we know that you are a moving God and we pray for that movement God get us out of our heads if you must help us stop intellectualizing everything and reach us in our hearts God again fresh and new your sons and daughters asking this age old question can even these old bones live God and you look at us where we are in this moment and I know you're smiling and you say watch this and you breathe. You breathe everything that you are into us. The shame goes away. The guilt recedes. The defenses break down. The doubting stops. The feet begin to move and the hands begin to work and our mouths, God, I pray, are filled with fire. Jesus, we pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.